The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Earlier this week, Taoiseach Leo Faradkar said that Ireland is not, quote, rolling out the red carpet, end quote, for asylum seekers arriving into the state. He said it's a myth to suggest that Ireland has an open border policy, adding that people seeking asylum are subject to a rules-based system of immigration. Let me give you the exact quote. I do want to reassure people that migration in Ireland is rules-based. I hear absolute myths about us somehow having an open borders policy or rolling out the red carpet and welcoming people to come here irregularly. So we decided to fact check that and we've asked immigration lawyer Cahill Malone to join us. And to start, Cahill, overall, is the Taoiseach correct in his assertion? Well, uh, good afternoon, Matt. I I think that he is. I mean, obviously, um, as an immigration lawyer, I wouldn't have much of a job left unless we had immigration laws. Um, But what I think is very important to remember is that... um, when we talk about um, the asylum seekers coming to Ireland and when we talk about um, the difficulties that we've been having lately in relation to accommodation, etc., um, there's one group that account for the vast majority of these people, and that is the Ukrainians, of whom we've taken 100,000 so far. And I think most Irish people would agree that that was a good thing to do. Um, the total number of asylum seekers from the whole rest of the world put together is currently running at about 13,500 a year. So... Uh, when we talk about uh, people coming into this country and, and people are wondering where the numbers are coming from, the vast, vast majority are Ukrainian families coming here fleeing Putin's war in Ukraine. And to enter the country, is it just all they have to do is show a Ukrainian passport? So that will allow them to be uh, admitted to Ireland. Um, What the Ukrainians uh, then have happen is that they are then brought to City West, which, as we know, was a reception centre where there are various government departments. There was the Department of Justice, uh, Social Welfare, Health uh, and various other uh, government bodies who are there. And it's quite a... um, combined service where they uh, check people's identities, assess their needs and process them in terms of PPS numbers, etc. Um, unfortunately that doesn't happen in respect to people coming from other countries uh, and maybe it's something that we could move to uh, when the war is over but in terms of the Ukrainians, once they get to the Irish border with the Ukrainian passport, they're taken to City West and then they're assessed further there. And then they're sent to various locations around the country? Yes um, and uh, as we know, um the uh, direct provision system um, is at this point uh, completely full up and what the government are having to do is to resort to emergency accommodations such as, for example, uh, hotels and that kind of thing. And unfortunately, um, we've seen some of the, the effects of that uh, lately with the unfortunate burning down of the hotel in the west of Ireland over the weekend. Which unfortunately wasn't the first such occurrence either. But take me through the application for international protection for people who are not Ukrainians. And actually, one of the first things, just to clarify, if you're from another EU member state, you don't go through this process at all, do you? You are fully entitled, are you, to come and live in Ireland if you want to? Yes. If you're a citizen of the European Union, you don't need anybody's permission to come and live in Ireland the same way that an Irish person needs nobody's permission to go to France or Spain or Germany. You're entitled to stay for a period of three months in any European country without any reason to be there or necessarily any job or, or, or means of supporting yourself. And I think people would expect that because obviously um, when we go on holidays, there's nobody demands to know where we're staying or where our money is. If you wish to stay for longer than three months, uh, then you're required to have some means of supporting yourself. Okay, so that applies to all EU citizens. And what sort of means of support do you actually have to show? 
Well, if you're an EU citizen, you move to another EU country. Uh, you can be working, you can be self-employed, you can also be studying, or you can be what's called residing with sufficient resources, which essentially means that you're independently wealthy. Although in that circumstance, uh, the same as being a student, you do have to have private medical insurance. And what about if you're from another EU country and you have a criminal conviction or you have been interviewed in relation to potential involvement in a crime? Um, If you have been convicted of criminal offence, that on its own cannot be used to exclude you. What is done is there's a forward-looking test to see are you still a risk? So somebody, uh, obviously we we all understand somebody can make a mistake in their life and they can reform themselves and, and, and they're no longer a risk to society. So if we're proposing to either stop somebody entering Ireland if they're an EU citizen or to remove them from Ireland as an EU citizen, what we have to do is assess, did they represent a present and sufficiently serious threat to the interests of Irish society as of the day that we're assessing them? Obviously a pattern of criminality um, would be something that we looked at as part of that. Now, take us through the international protection system or the asylum system, as we know, that applies to 13,500 people annually. Where are these people coming from in the most to Ireland? Um, We're seeing a very high number of Nigerians, of Somali people, uh, of Afghans. I think people would understand that. And we're also seeing a high number of Georgians at the moment. And there are then various other countries. We've had a lot of Syrians in recent years as well and from other countries. But at the moment... Two of the biggest countries we're seeing are Afghanistan and Somalia. Uh, Somalia has no functioning central government. And as we know, unfortunately, Afghanistan, following the US pullout, is run by the Taliban once again. You often Um, hear this said that you have a situation whereby when somebody enters the European Union, the first place where they come to is where they have to be processed. So how do people from Afghanistan or Somalia or Georgia or elsewhere end up in Ireland if there are no direct flights from those countries? Well, this is a a myth that has gone around and has proven very difficult to stamp out. The the system you're talking about is called the Dublin 3 system. And it does not say that somebody must apply in the first safe country they reach, or and it doesn't even say that that's where they'll necessarily be processed. People have an entitlement to apply for asylum or international protection in any country in which they find themselves. What the Dublin 3 system then does is it then decides, according to a set of common rules, which member state makes more sense for, to, to, to process that person's application. So to give you an example, if somebody were to enter the European Union uh, through Greece or Italy, as usually happens, um, and if they already had um, family in another member state, or maybe they had a brother or sister who'd already applied for asylum in another member state, then they'd be transferred to that member state so that they could be with their family and have their applications processed together. Or if somebody were to apply for asylum and if it were to turn out that they had previously applied for asylum in another European country, they'd be sent to that country uh, to process them. So it's not the case uh, to say that just because somebody came in through Italy that we should uh, send everybody back there. And I think that that is something that when you think about it for a second makes a great degree of sense because if everybody were to enter the EU through Italy or Greece, and if the, if the iron rule was the country that you entered through had to process you, that would mean that no other country in Europe would ever have an asylum seeker, and the Greek and Italian asylum systems would collapse overnight, uh, and they're already under huge strain. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's a system that, once you think about it for more than a second, you realise couldn't work. Okay, that's the first myth busted. What other ones do you think is it important to challenge? 
Well, well, I think that the next thing is probably important to challenge is the idea that still seems to be going around that when you apply for asylum, you suddenly get full social welfare and a house and a car and whatever other things people say you get. I mean, I think people are well aware enough at this point of the reality of living in direct provision in places like Mosny or, or Nocnalishin or, or other places or up in Balsaskin, um, places which are generally you know very far from a town centre where you can be living, in the case of Mosny, in a mobile home. Um, and where, um, although the, the rates were increased following the Catherine Day and Brian McMahon reports a number of years ago, um, it's still under €40 Euro a week uh, per adult is, is the payment that you receive and you're not entitled to other social welfare. Uh, and children are about half that. Um, so it's not the case that uh, when people apply for international protection that they're living in the lap of luxury. And in fact... Um, with the direct provision centres full, we now have people living in very unsuitable temporary accommodation in everywhere from uh, disused industrial units, um, such as the unit it, that was attacked in Finglas during the, the riots recently. We have people living in uh, converted, uh, uh, abandoned army barracks. We have people living in caravan parks. And, you know, that the hotel that we were to see 70 international protection applicants accommodated in recently had been disused, I understand, for 15 or 20 years. And that's the situation they were going to be moved into. So these people are really not living the high life, uh, Matt. What sort of vetting is done of people who apply for international protection? Well, when you apply for international protection, uh, whether you do it at the airport or, or within Ireland, you're sent to the International Protection Office on Lower Mount Street in Dublin. And um, once you've filled out some uh, forms giving basic information there, the next thing that happens is that you are fingerprinted. And this is run through a European fingerprinting database called Eurodac, uh, which covers every country in Europe. And that will link into international police and terrorist databases, but it also will tell whether somebody has ever come across the immigration or asylum authorities of any other EU member state. So, in other words, you can't just make an application for asylum in, let's just say, Greece, come to Ireland, give a fake name and not be picked up in it. Um, and that's an electronic fingerprinting system. The results come back within about five minutes. And then, obviously, as you give further details they're all checked out against uh, the departmental files, including file, detailed files that they hold on countries of origin. Immigration law is called country of origin information or COI, which are files that are held by the department, which will tell them about the local conditions in countries from which refugees come and will allow them to assess whether somebody is genuinely from an area and whether their, their story adds up in terms of what's known about that country. How many people get deported or refused their application to actually stay in Ireland and get deported? Because again, you hear stories about people getting a deportation order and they're not actually sent officially by the country out of the state. Is that true? Well, so if you fail your international protection application, then a deportation order issues automatically. And what then happens is you're subject to a requirement to reside in a particular place, which would be wherever you're currently living. And then you're subject to what's called a registration requirement, which is where you must essentially, it's a bit like if somebody's on bail, you must go to a local Garda station and sign on, be it once a week, once a fortnight, once a month, depending on what the, the guards want to do. Um, and then if you were to be deported, uh, during one of those uh, appointments to sign on, you, you'll be taken to the airport and sent home. The difficulty is that there are some countries to which we just cannot uh, effectively send people. So when I, when I started doing this job a number of years ago, uh, the Chinese government, as far as they were concerned, they still had the one-child policy. As far as they were concerned, China was full, and they just would not take people back. And, of course, you can't deport people somewhere on a charter flight without the cooperation of the country to which you're sending them. And 
for example, often if people's passports are expired, let's just say, um, if the country that you're sending them to won't issue a passport, again, you can't put them on an airplane. So there are countries to which we simply can't send people. Uh, similarly, I mean, Somalia has no functioning central government. And so it's very difficult to know how you'd send somebody back there. And then there are other countries, like to take an example, Zimbabwe, where I think as a matter of policy, we just haven't sent anybody in about 10 years, because even if you were to fail in your asylum application, I think there's a view within the department that sending people back to Mugabe, it might still on some humanitarian level not be a great idea. But there are uh, hundreds of people every year who are deported and a good number of other people who appear in the statistics as not having been deported will have left the country because what people must remember is that a deportation order in the first instance obliges you to leave Ireland and uh, forcible deportation is only used uh, where it comes to guard attention that people haven't left on their own. Carl Malone, thank you so much for giving us that very detailed explanation as an immigration lawyer as to what happens. Thank you indeed. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.